to Caesar what is Caesar's. One of the most famous lines, famous verses in the Bible. Here it's phrased, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, which I love because it makes me think of my two-year-old son Jimmy's favorite song, The Imperial March from Star Wars. (laughs) There's nothing like looking back in my car and seeing a little tiny guy in his seat singing dun 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 The language of empire is meaningful for us here in the United States in 2017. But we'll get to that. Historically, this passage has been interpreted in two primary ways. It has been used to honor both church and state, as in we have obligations to both, so fulfill them both. This is sort of the God and country argument. It has also been interpreted as a call to differentiate religious obligations from those of the world, such that faith always takes priority. Because we give to God all the things that are God's and all things come from God, our primary obligation is to God. In that second interpretation, the central concern of this passage is idolatry. Let's dork out on some history for a second. I promise we'll bring it back to practical things for us here in Isla Vista. Let's talk dinero. All you Spanish speakers will recognize this term. The etymology of dinero stretches back to the word denarius. During the time of Jesus, there were many types of denarius. We don't know exactly which coin, which denarius Jesus held, but it is likely that the denarius he held had a picture of Tiberius with the inscription, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Son of the divine Augustus. Divine Augustus. Augustus was Tiberius's predecessor, and upon his death, the title of a, a, the divine title was laid upon him. Now, divinity in Roman imperial cult is a long and convoluted subject. For so, for now, we're going to flag the claim that Augustus was divine, note it, and set it aside, and stick to the sort of idolatry that is more immediate in the Jewish context: graven images. Do you remember this? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The second of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Okay. So this coin is a big no-no, particularly in Jerusalem, the Jewish capital. Jesus is pointing out an inherent conflict between the practice of Judaism and Roman imperialism. But he does so carefully. The Pharisees have come to trap Jesus. They get together with the Herodians, the people who are loyal to Herod, 
the middleman between Israel and Rome, sort of the puppet leader. This is like, it's, a, it's just a really strange pairing in that day and age. It's sort of like if Ralph Nader were to get together with Jared Kushner. You just, <laughs> like, what are they doing together? It's really strange. Um, maybe a more accurate uh, depiction would be if Rick Warren and Jared Kushner got together, but that there's not as much conflict in our day and age, so it doesn't really translate. You get the idea. Two strange groups have come together. The religious leaders get together with the people serving the empire, and they ask an impossible question. Should we pay taxes? In other words, do we serve God or Rome? This question should have gotten Jesus killed, either for his rebellion to Rome or his betrayal of God. But Jesus sidesteps the issue by giving the emperor and the empire what they want and staying faithful to God. Jesus looks at this little piece of metal they hand him and says, this thing, this is the problem, this thing does not matter. Does not matter. Don't let this shape your life. Um, in my junior year of undergrad, I studied abroad in Santiago, Chile. Um, when I got there at the time, one dollar was worth roughly 500 pesos. And in Chile, they have uh, several small coins. They have the 50 peso, they have a 10, they have a 5, and they even have a 1. As you can imagine, those 1s and 5s were not exactly respected among the people. <laughs> uh, in true American fashion, I had a friend on my abroad program that would, whenever he got changed, would just throw it on the street. Just throw it away out of total disregard, total American disregard for the small change that was basically useless. When I first arrived in Santiago, I had no idea what to expect. I'd never been to South America. I'd never lived in a city of 6.5 million people. And I knew very little of Chilean history. I'll never forget when my host family picked me up uh, and they were driving me through this gigantic city. I remember feeling how foreign it felt to look around and see these street names and statues that I knew nothing about. They, they told a history that I had never heard. Stories of people like Bernardo O'Higgins and Simon Bolivar, the liberators of South America. I also remember a strange comfort when we got on a wide, new thoroughfare with six lanes of traffic blowing by all the traffic down, downtown. It was just beautiful. It felt really comfortable. My host family turned to me and said, this is Avenida Kennedy. <laughs> it felt so good to have a street named after someone I knew and respected. Someone 
from my country. It wasn't until a couple of months later that I started to question why a beautiful road to the fancy part of town was named after an American president. By then, I knew more about American involvement in Chilean history. I had seen the bullets in La Moneda from the military coup of 1973 that ousted the democratically elected communist president Salvador Allende and put in the military dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet, or Pinochet, as they say down there. Only in writing this sermon did I realize the the awareness, the significance of Pinochet's first name, Augusto, Augustus. These days, American involvement in that coup is much more documented. In a report filed by our government in 1976, Senator Frank Church said Nixon's involvement in Chile was like Caesar peering into the colonies from distant Rome. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. These days, that feels harder and harder to do. It feels like our empire is asking too much of us. Asking our time, our money, our allegiance. Asking for our acceptance of a mockery of justice where the EPA is run by an oil company, industrials. Asking us not to kneel at the national anthem. On Friday night, a singer, Justine Skye, kneeled as she sang the final line, home of the brave, before a New York Nets game. For her bravery, she was heavily criticized by politicians. But that is what empire does. It levels anything in its path. Empire calls a soldier's widow and says, He knew what he signed up for. We cannot forget that Jesus himself was killed by the empire a few days after he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus was killed, and the empire didn't even acknowledge it. There's no Roman record of his death. Similarly, The empire in which we live continues to cause suffering around the world that goes completely unremembered by us. But the strange thing about this empire, the one in which we live, is that the empire is us. It's us. We are a democratic nation of the people, by the people, for the people. Whether we like it or not, this country and its worldwide influence are the product of our action. How we act, how we live, affects the entire planet, and as such, we have an obligation to use our roles as citizens of the most powerful country in the world to shape the country and the world according to our values, according to the kingdom, to show our love of God and neighbor, to care for this planet no matter who is in office. We are called to bring about God's kingdom here on earth, and we can do so through the opportunities we have as U.S. citizens.
but we do not worship the United States of America. And that is liberating. When we stop idolizing the country, we are able to foster the good and effectively criticize the bad. That is the freedom of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. Don't worry about the dead presidents on paper. Give them back to the government that printed them. Don't love the empire, but don't spend much energy hating the emperor. Don't give the empire your peace of mind. Give God what is God's. In the language of Genesis, we are made in the image of God. We are a minted divine coin. (laughs) We belong to God, so we love God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds. No matter what happens in the United States of America, we find our peace in the eternal love that makes all things. And we reflect that love by caring for our neighbors of all nationalities, political affiliations, sexual orientations, neighbors of the biotic and abiotic communities, neighbors of the future who will bear the burden of our environmental neglect. We are called to live into that love that made us by remembering our inherent goodness and the goodness of others. Occasionally, we can see what a simple task that is. In the place of poetry, the bathroom of the little house, um, there's a poem by Mary Oliver called, When I Am Among the Trees. In that poem, Oliver reflects on how walking through trees reminds her that our work in this life is to but walk slowly and bow often. She says, around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again, it is simple. They say, you too have come into the world to do this. To go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. That is how we give to God what is God's. Go easy, be filled with light, and shine. Amen. Amen.